Welcome to an industry in transition, the must listen to podcast for financial advisors and industry leaders from Tony Siriani, the CEO and publisher of Advisor Hub, where we explore the week's news and events and put our ever-changing business into perspective. Tony is joined each week by industry leaders, mavericks, and disruptors who give their take on our industry and their thoughts on where we are headed. If you want to remain relevant, you can't miss it. Now, here's your host, Tony Siriani. Welcome, everyone, to another edition and another special edition of the Industry and in Transition Zoom call. Uh, we're lucky to have uh, R. Hogan and Paul Dietrich from B. Riley. These are their two heads of investment strategy and, re and everything to do with it, that advisors need to know about the, about the market. So we're lucky to have them here. Now, first question is, do either of you guys want to walk back on anything you told us last time, which was we had with Art sort of a soft landing with Paul, you know, more of a global recession. Are we in the same spots that we were before? I think we are. Yeah, I think we are. We were solidly in the same spot. All right. So we'll, 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 we'll we, try. we don't know yet whether it's going to be a soft landing or a hard one. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's part of the fun of, of this call, I think. Uh, I, I guess a question, you know, to both of you, we'll, we'll go to um, Art and then to Paul. Uh, what are the markets getting wrong, in your opinion, with, with with how they're reacting to? I mean, some news we have, some news we don't have, and and you know, people have been sort of reacting according to their lights, and and the market is is telling us what. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this: one of the one of the biggest mistakes the market is likely making right now, and this has been something we've seen for about six months, is that we're underestimating the strength of the economy and, and seeing any growth as being a negative for markets, right? Good news in the economic data stream is bad news for markets. I think that's a big mistake. And I think that um, we're overestimating the strength of inflation. I think that we continue to think that uh, the inflation always comes in hot, when it really has cooled quite a bit, certainly not as much as we need it to. Right. But if you look at the latest readings we've seen on CPI, PPI, and the PCE, four months sequential improvement and, and certainly a collapse from the headline numbers that we were used to a year ago. So that's the good news. I think that markets are underestimating the underlying strength of the economy. And so every time we get a piece of information like the durable goods orders, factory orders, ISM services, all coming out better than expected, the mar market tends to have that negative reaction, just assuming that the Fed is gonna have to get that much more aggressive if this economy doesn't cool down and inflation will never abate. Right, right. And Paul, you 100% agree. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, arts are kind of half full. I'm, I'm probably a little bit half empty uh, looking at the glass. Um, I, I think be careful what you, uh, what you want uh, and what you wish for, because inflation, I agree with art, it is slightly coming down. Uh, we're still at 40-year highs. Uh, and uh, and but as it's coming down and parts of the economy are slowing, uh, that will eventually bring us into recession. So uh, it's it's great that we're we're seeing some of the Fed rate increases working, uh, but uh, the whole purpose is to slow down the economy, uh, which is probably almost everybody agrees is going to take us into a recession. And that's, that is really the, the problem. And if you look at all the leading economic indicators, I mean, even manufacturing uh, it, it, on the leading economic indicators has started to turn down, although it is, is still in positive territory. 
Um, we've had recessions before where jobs continue to go up and wages continue to go up. So that's well. See that's, that way. That's that's something interesting, though, though, Paul, because jobs, you know, jobs has been the strength of this economy, right, Art? I mean, that's kind of where things are good. And I guess the question is, even in a soft landing, do you have to lose jobs? I mean, do, do I mean, do we have to go to like the you know, I don't know, seven percent unemployment or something like that in order to to say, oh, here we are, and it'll start coming back. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I think what we need to see is what we've started to see already, and that's the job openings. The job openings need to come down. So if you see the JOLTS report for last month and, and, and the, the steady stream of the JOLTS report, that's that's fi finally starting to come up. The Fed will mention this at every meeting. There's 1.7 jobs for every person looking for one. We, the labor force participation rate hasn't gotten back to pre-pandemic levels. So that's that tightness in the labor market, to Paul's point, is very difficult. It's a conundrum for the Fed because that keeps pressure on wages. But if the job openings start to come down, and I think they will. We saw 84,000 job cuts announced in the third quarter earnings reporting season, largely from technology companies. That'll start showing up in the weekly jobless claims. We'll start to see unemployment uh, tick up uh, modestly, but I don't think we need to get to six or six and a half percent unemployment. I think we need to have something with a high four handle, maybe a low five handle. Although, by the way, historically, that's a pretty full uh, employment, employment rate. Does that, Paul, go ahead. You want yeah, to say his, Historically, We've had recessions where uh, employment continued to go up uh, in 73 to 75 uh, recession, which uh, we had lots of, we had global inflation, all of these things. Uh, it, for eight months, literally employment uh, climbed during the recession. And it was almost when the recession was over uh, that that unemployment figures started to go up. And, and what people don't understand is, is that you can have a recession and still have, you know, everybody employed. Uh, the recession usually takes place when the economy slows. And if people stop spending, which we're starting to see because we're seeing credit card debt just go up like a hockey stick. Uh, for a while, people were spending out of their savings. Now they're actually continuing to spend in the same manner, but uh, it's, it's borrowing. And as the Fed raises rates, uh, we're all already seeing at least the anecdotal evidence that people are pulling back on... Uh, on their spending, so you can you can still have a job, and yet pull back on your spending, and that could lead us in and has in the past lead, led us into a recession. What, what, but isn't or is isn't some of the joblessness <clears throat> artificially pumped up by the government because we have all we still have this COVID response that we're paying people, you know, for things? Does any of that factor into to the fact that you know? It's hard that people aren't looking maybe for work. I mean, this is what I'm seeing when I look at the, the newspaper. Yeah, I would, I would tell you that I, I think it's inflated three ways. And I think you bring up a good point. So jobs postings or jobs available can be inflated for sure. So if, if Paul and I were looking for an assistant, we wouldn't just advertise in the United States. We'd advertise globally. All of those would equal a, a different job when in reality, it's only one. So that's probably inflated. I think most of the pandemic... Um, benefits have have already wound down. So we're not seeing a whole lot of that. So we're certainly seeing people actively getting back in the labor force and, and we're seeing a lot of layoffs being announced on a weekly basis. The numbers continue to climb. So I think it's moderating for sure. I think what's important though, when you think about 
the, the concept of employment and how that affects spending. We forget, you know, you can compare 73 and 75 to, uh, to today. And what's different today is that the discrepancy between the top 20% of people that do most of the spending and the other 80% that do much less of the spending. And the top 20% certainly have much have pristine balance sheets, high savings, historically above trend savings, and continue to be confident. So we may have an economy that is dragged on because of the difference. That, that wasn't true in 74 and 75. We didn't have this income disparity that we have today. So we have a very confident consumer and that top 20% of the consumer continues to spend. And I don't think we're going to see that dissipate. And I certainly don't think they're going to run out of savings. So the, but the, another difference, Paul, between now and the 70s is uh, how interconnected the global economy was. Like you said, you're looking at jobs, you're posting them overseas. Um, that That's some risk that we don't, I mean, that's got nothing to do with our COVID spending. Right? I mean, we're, we're sort of subject to some risk that we don't have control over. Would you see that adding to the you know potential for a recession or uh, that that certainly could. One of the things that I see about the, you know, back in the 70s, we we manufactured everything, we consumed everything. And if we sold, you know, 10% to the rest of the world, that was icing on the cake. Uh, but now with a globalized economy, and we now just assemble things in the United States, but the parts and everything come from all over the world. Uh, my concern is, is that inflation will remain higher than what the Fed says is its target rate, which is 2%. And I think it's only going to get down, you know, somewhere around 5 maybe 4.5 to 5%. And, and does the Fed keep raising rates, um, even though that that's probably uh, a sustainable level because we know that the Fed can affect certain things in the United States, like housing. It's just decimated uh, the new homes market, housing market. Uh, it's starting to affect car sales and it will affect spending because credit card debt is going to be going up. And so we, we know that the Fed can be effective in some things, but it doesn't have any effect whatsoever on oil, food, international commodities uh, that are, you know, they're international. And so they don't have an effect and they're not going to have effect on a Vietnam car parts right. producer. And so those costs are going to continue to go up and they're going to continue to be added and they're going to continue to be inflationary. So, Art, I mean... I guess I have two questions. One is I want to know what it, if that's true, how much of that is priced into the market already would be sort of, you know, I guess that's my first question. So yeah, I'll ask you that. Go ahead. Yeah, I think Paul brought up a really good point. I just like to circle back to that. And, and that, that point is housing prices have already come down, right? And we know that they've been real-time data will show this that you, you know, check on Zillow or Reddit, you'll see that on a monthly basis, houses have been coming down since June. But in the CPI as measured by the government and owner's equivalent rent, that's not going to show up for four or six months. So if we actually use real-time data on housing right now, to Paul's point, and looked at what the CPI, the core level would be, we probably already have a four handle, and we certainly will by the first quarter of this year. So I think that's the first point. What so Mark on just before you go to that, so on, on that sort of line of, uh, of thinking, that doesn't the, the Fed 
I mean, they have they have a they have an enormous hammer to hit. It's not a, it's not a scalpel, right? Or it's not so, it's not a fine instrument. So you know, what's the danger of overshooting there when they see all this stuff happen and and there is a lag time between you know the data that they get and the actual things that are happening? You're bringing that up. I'm just curious. Yeah, it's such a good question, and that is probably the biggest danger, right? It's it's the the Fed is embarrassed that they were too slow to to react. So the, the, the logic there would dictate that they'll likely stay too long, right? So right now, you're going to hear about a Fed that's going to be higher for longer. But if, the, if in fact, the CPI trend continues with housing prices now baked in with real-time data by the fourth quarter, and we have a three-handle on CPI at the core level, which is consensus, I think that you're going to have a Fed sitting with a five and a quarter Fed funds rate realizing they're too restricted and they've gone too far and they need to start easing. And if you look at the Fed funds rate right now, there is 125 basis point cut at the end of next year. I think the logic that gets us there is the, they're looking at inflation in the rearview mirror while they're trying to attack the problem looking at the windshield. And I think that to your point, it's, that's, a, that's a difficult way to drive a car. And, but they've always done it that way, Paul, right? There's no, there's no that, that's, that's what they got. Federal Reserve is that they always uh, kind of, you know, you can almost bet that they're gonna take us into recession. And, you know, I just saw some uh, new Bloomberg uh, data that I think, uh, and fact set data that 93% of all CEOs uh, believe that we're going into a recession. We're not in one yet, but we're going into one in either the first or second quarter. Uh, about 73% of analysts and economists believe we're going into a recession. Uh, and the reason it's only 73% is that there are some economists who believe we're already in a recession. Um, but uh, the, the big debate is whether it will be a mild recession or it's going to be a, a more severe recession. And again, uh, we've gone, I mean, if you don't count the anomaly of the one month recession we had when the government locked down the economy, we've had 13 years of a bull market. And historically, when you've had that long of a bull market, the recession is more severe because it has to kind of get rid of more. Yeah, right. All right, so, but, so, so based on that art, what, what's, Back to my other question was what's priced in already, right? We've had this, this is also hard to tell, right? Because it's supposed to be a forward indicator of the markets, right? So it's already sold off quite a, quite a bit. Um, where is it? And the question from an advisor is going to be, is it safe? Should we be buying in or where, you know, where, where? Yeah. What's so I would say this, the market's done a pretty efficient job of wringing out speculative yeah. excesses, right? So when we think about the speculative edges of the market, whether it's SPACs, which have been crushed or you know, all sorts of EV startups, a bunch of disruptors in FinTech. So we've seen the most speculative edges of the market. Crypto for, for certainly falls into that category, NFTs, all the things around that sort of really speculative edges of the market have already collapsed and are, and are still down, call it 60 to 80%. That's efficient. If you look at the peak to trough on the NASDAQ composite, which is 3,600 companies, it was down 35%, but the average stock in that index was down 50%. So I think we've gone a long way of wringing out some of that speculative. And, and the reason you have to do that is interest rates went up. So a lot of bad investment decisions get made when interest rates are low. And now they're being discovered. The tide has gone out. We've, we we now get to see who's been swimming naked. And I think the market's done a pretty efficient job. The peak to trough on the S&P was down 25%. The average stock was down 37%. So we've, we've priced in a lot of what seems to be the worst kept secret in the world that there may be a recession next year, right? And and whatever that's the majority thinking, you know, the market has has already gotten ahead, or at least well down the road of pricing a lot of that in. 
So we, I mean, in my mind, Paul, we, we, it's easy. I mean, if you start saying recession enough, you have it because people think that way, they behave that way, and it's 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 there. And but where do you think the the pricing uh, the market is priced in? If you're if you're thinking it's still a global recession coming, it's going to be long like a stagflation. I'm, I'm I'm putting words in your mouth, but it's basically a stagflation kind of thing. Where where does the market go? I I agree. I mean, the market, you know, as of right now, is down about eighteen percent. Well. You know, that's technically, I mean, we, we've been down lower, but I mean, at the moment, we're not even in technically a bear market, which usually you need 20% uh, down to have. And we're not in a recession yet, but almost, I, I don't know of many people who don't believe, even Janet Yellen, when she was being interviewed yesterday, uh, she she wouldn't say we're not going into a recession, you know, and she's she's sort of has to be positive because she's part of the administration. And even she couldn't bring herself to say, yeah, no, no, we're not going into a recession. That when we do go into recession, uh, according to uh, Ned Davis research, the since 1950, the average uh, drop in the S&P 500 has been 36%, you know, in, in a recession. Now we're down, uh, you know, 18%. So that's, a, that's, that's a mild recession is 36%. It's average. I think we're going to be going down much further than that, probably 40%. Uh, and so if you think, we're at 18%. We got another, you know, 15, 22% to go down, uh, depending on whether you think it's a mild recession or it's like me, a more severe recession. And that's what I think investors have to focus on is that we got a long way to go once we're in a recession. If history has any bearing on this, and given all the things that are happening in the world, uh, the possibility of oil spikes because of the Russia-Ukraine war and the new sanctions there, because of the problems in, in food and food distribution. Um, you know, we've got Taiwan and North Korea. We've, we've right. got all of these things. And plus, we have global inflation. Inflation may be going down a little bit here in the United States, still at a 40-year high, but it's going up. Uh, in Europe and in other parts of the world. So, Art, still, uh, I mean, the, and I don't see how that doesn't affect us in the end. And yeah, I mean, so what do you think, Art? I mean, is, if with with if the global stuff, you know, versus a good, because I I I I I get what you're saying too. That this, look, we we were in good shape before the pandemic. I mean, the economy was doing really well. It was almost like you could say. So here's an interesting point. And I can make this point because I'm a dummy when it comes to markets. But look, we had this, you know, during the uh, Obama administration, I think you can argue we had this, that great recession, which was miserable, especially for people in our business, right? Eight, nine. Then we had what really was a slow recovery, right? There was a lot of regulation. There were high taxes. And then all of a sudden the recovery took off and then pandemic, boom. Is there any hope to say there was there was this pent up? you know, demand, pent up good stuff. And that may, can that carry us through art? Can that, can that be the thing that sort of underpins uh, a recession and keeps it from being? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. And I think you go back to, you know, as, as Paul noted, let's, let's skip that one month recession that we went through at the right. beginning of the pandemic and go back to 2008, nine, and then go back to the, 
2020, uh, 2001, post dot-com bubble. So we know why that happened. We saw the underlying damage that was done. We spent too much money, you know, being concerned about Y2K. We spent too much money laying fiber all over the place. There was, there was bad investment across a spectrum of companies that put dot-com at the end of their name and came public and thousands of them don't exist anymore. That's not happening right now. <clears throat> Flash forward to 2008 and we don't have a mortgage market crisis. We don't have a housing crisis. There's an underlying bid for homes. They will come down more, but there's an underlying bid. So the underlying damage to the economy doesn't look like there's a cause, a root cause to it in 23 that can give us the kind of collapse that we saw in, in 2001 and 2008 and nine. I think that the, 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 um, the strength of the economy coming into this pandemic is going to help carry us through. And we're starting to see that in the data. I think that's the conundrum for the Fed. It's like, how does this data continue to be this strong when we've raised rates by, you know, at the fastest pace we've done going back to the 70s? And I think it's it's truly that underlying strength and the fact that these rate hikes they've already made have long and variable lags. So there's so much tightening in the channel that I think it will be wise for them to go from 75 basis points to 50 basis points and stop at five and a quarter. I think that's the path that they're on. And I think that's something this economy can handle without collapsing. It doesn't mean we don't go into recession. It just means it may well be short and shallow. So uh, this is a great discussion. And I think, you know, we can go on for a lot longer. I want to give you an opportunity just to just, you know, and I know these are coming from two different, you know, points of view, but but for an advisor, just the one one piece of advice here we are, you know, here we are today, we're looking at this, you know, today, what, what, what do you tell them and their clients? What's the most common thing? You know, you can make it, Paul, based on what's the most common question you get and what's the most common answer you give advisors. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at this in a short, as an advisor, in the short term and in the long term. Uh, you know, we're going to get out of this probably sometime late next year. Um, nobody has a crystal ball. It's whenever the leading economic indicators start uh, turning up again. Uh, but in the short term, uh, meaning in the next six months, uh, I think people are going to hear all the, the recession talk, an earnings recession, um, the problems, inflation is going to go down a little bit, but then it's going to it's going to stop just because of the global uh, nature of this inflation. And I fear that the Fed will continue to tighten um, at that point when they're plateauing, which will make the the recession even worse. They've had a history of doing that, and and what advisors need to be doing is is putting together a defensive investment strategy where capital preservation for their clients is at the forefront of everything they do. That should be their mantra, capital preservation, because clients over the next six months, that's, what the, that's not only what they want to hear from their advisors, they want to see that you've got a plan to be defensive until we can clearly see uh, that the the economy is recovering. And I, I look not at the stock market and its stock market signals, but I primarily look at leading economic indicators. And other than employment and consumer spending, which we're starting to see coming down, um, those are the only two 
you know, areas in the green out of all the leading economic indicators, uh, it's, it's not looking good uh, for the economy outside of those two areas. And we know that you can have a recession and a severe recession, Important. as we did in 73 to 75, when the market was down 44%. And yet, we had full employment. No. Uh, Art, same question. You know, if you're talking to, you get questions from advisors all day, you know, what, what's the advice you'd give them based on what you know? Yeah, I think Paul has some solid points to make, but I think where you want to be careful, of course, is, you know, if you're an account that has a, that's a taxable account, it's not a, an account that is qualified. You have to make a, a, a decision and say to yourself, well, I own, you know, Apple at 125, should I sell it at 150 and just get out of the way? Or should I sell everything and go into cash? And you have to make sure you're you're in that decision-making process. You know what the tax consequences is because if you're taxed in capital gains, you have to you have to assume that you are now going to see that equity you sold go down thirty some odd percent to have that decision make sense. Yeah. Getting more defensive makes sense. I think twenty three is going to be a year where you want to focus more on things that you need versus things that you want. So healthcare and consumer staples and utilities likely will outperform. I also think that technology growth at a reasonable price will outperform the disruptors. So if you're still in any of those things that were pandemic darlings, it may seem like it's too late to sell. It's not, they're, they're, they're not gonna come back in a high interest rate environment, but being defensive can also mean, you know, raising the level of cash that you typically have. So if you're, if you're used to having 10% cash and you have 20% cash for better opportunities, I think that's a good idea. But the one thing that, I, that we tell advisors all the time is getting out and waiting for the dust to settle they never ring a bell at the bottom. They're never going to tell you. And the hardest trade is to get back in because that's the time it's going to seem like the scariest, right? So sometimes it's better if you have a diversified portfolio, you're well-balanced, you've got a great financial advisor to do nothing and wait for this to get better. Because if you sell everything today and, and wait till the fourth quarter when things have significantly gotten better next year, you're going to never have gotten back in. And, and we still have people from 2009 that haven't gotten back in this market because they're they think you know more bad things are coming. Yeah, you know, we're constant battle against human nature, and there's certainly a lot of things to worry about. Your age factors into it a whole bunch of things. So, but but well, like, hey, yeah. Can I just say one sure. thing? I, I, as an attorney, also, I, uh, I, I always think it's a mistake to let the tax tail of the dog wag. You know, it, yeah. it's. I had so many clients in 2008. And in 2009, who didn't want to go defensive because they had so many, it would have cost them so much in capital gains taxes. And as you know, in 2008 and 9, the market went down peak to trough 57%. So when it went down 20%, you know, they just, they weren't going to pay the taxes. And then it went down 30%, and then 40%, and then 50%. Guess what? At some point, they didn't owe any taxes during that period of time, but it took them seven, eight, nine, as, as Art said, some people haven't recovered yet to get back to break even. It, if you do pen to paper on, on this tax issue, and if you believe, as I do, that we're going to see, even in a mild recession, a 36% uh, uh, going down in the market, you know, it, it may, may make some sense to, to, to pay your capital gains taxes, uh, get out of that and buy it back at a, at a cheaper rate, uh, you know, your, your stocks, because I have just seen 
that excuse become a, a financial disaster for loads of people uh, who have taxable accounts? Two, two sides aren't on every, on, on, on every yeah. piece of this, you know? Yeah, and it's also, when we talk about taxes, this is a great time of year to be thinking about tax loss harvesting. It's yeah. also for the first time in a decade, a great opportunity if you don't want to ride out the volatility of the equity markets to look at fixed income. You know, there's there are two-year CDs paying 5% right now, right? So it's hard to argue with that if your outlook for the world is as terrible as it looks. So you have, you have alternatives for the first time in a long time where you're actually getting yield both on, you know, High-grade corporates and on treasuries, and and but th those yields aren't going to last forever. So if you're if you're looking to lock something in, you, you know you probably have six months to do it before you know that tail rolls over as well. Yeah, I, I agree with Art hundred percent on that. Well, there we go. Hey, we got agreement on hundred percent. I'll take credit for that. And uh, guys, it, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate it. I think advisors can learn a lot from uh, hearing from you. And I thank uh, B Riley for uh, letting you guys come on the show. Thank thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on An Industry in Transition. Make sure to visit our website, www.advisorhub.com, and subscribe to Advisor Hub. It's free, and you won't miss any advisor news or events. While you're on site, check out all the podcasts available. Click on the Deals Pages and Resources tab for valuable content, or check out the Markets section with its guru predictions, latest fintech offerings, you name it. Feel free to email Tony Seriani about specific questions we can address on the show. He can be reached by email at contact at advisorhub.com. Please note that all requests and questions are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for the next Industry in Transition episode.